Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Today, we bring you a show on the state of Bay Area beer, the drinks, and the industry. In a lot of ways, it's a perfect example of how the American economy works now. Locally, there are dozens of excellent breweries, and if you're willing to pay for them, you can try a greater variety of beers than probably ever before in history. Hazy IPAs, Crazy Lambics, Crispy Pilsners, Co-Ferment, Stouts, Big Sweet, Belgians, even non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. And yet, a Treasury Department report on the industry noted that 65% of the beer market is dominated by just two brewers. So this hour, we celebrate our local brewers, and we talk about small business and big hops. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Like many people, I drank a lot of bad beer before I discovered good beer. Watery Mexican lagers, Budweiser, even Natty Light. The dark ages for me, really. But then I went to one of those old school beer bars with a million beers from all over the world. And I discovered the English stouts, dark porters, bright Belgian golden ales. It was a revelation. Now I divide my time between what my friend Reese calls crispy boys, clean, lean, cold, lighter beers, and the trusty hazy IPA, especially with the dose of Citra and Mosaic hops. Today, we're going to talk with some of my favorite breweries about the art and the business of beer. We're joined by Barry Braden, co-founder and owner of Fieldwork Brewing. Welcome, Barry. Good morning, Alexis. So great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Eric Ortega, craft beer specialist and the taproom coordinator at Almanac. Welcome, Eric. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And Herlinder Harris, an artisan beverage expert and co-host of Brew Haha. That's a craft beer show on KSRO in Sonoma. Welcome. Cheers. Good morning. Yeah. Thanks. Happy to be here. Um, Eric, let's start with you. Do we actually, at this point, do people say, first thing, do people say microbrew anymore? Um, And so if not, what is the definition of a a craft beer in your mind? Well, the Brewers Association already has a pretty well-established definition that oftentimes includes the amount of beer that's being produced by barrel of beer uh, and whether or not it's independently owned or if there is a stake in corporate ownership. Uh, for me, uh, there is kind of a general sense that even some wood erstwhile independent breweries tend to take on some of those uh, facets of larger kind of corporate breweries. Hmm. Um, but really, it's just kind of depending on the place and location you're in. And certainly in the Bay Area, you know, you can throw a rock and hit three independent breweries because <laughs> we're just so rife with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's, it's less about the type of beer and more about the production processes or, or organizational framework? Um, I mean, it's it's definitely a variety of things. Uh, I think first and foremost is just a sense of belonging to the location that you're in. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, say we're sitting here with the uh, owner of Fieldwork, and you wouldn't deny that Fieldwork is part of the Bay Area beer landscape. Uh, you think about Drake's Brewing Company or Ghost mm-hmm. Town. Um, these are tied to the place that they're located in. Mm. Um, so certain connections to where that beer is produced uh, and the ownership of the people making that beer to the location, I think, is more important than pretty much any of the other facets that I talked about. Yeah. Uh, Barry, is there a typical Bay Area beer style? Uh, I I don't think so. Um, you know, we have eight locations, and I think uh, across all eight locations um, last week, the top-selling beers were four lagers, two sours, one West Coast IPA, one hazy IPA. Hmm. So I, I think, you know, we see about 25,000 uh, people through our tap rooms every week. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a it's a good indication that the consumer out there is uh, drinking a variety of styles and um, is finding what's uh, uh, what what they like the best and what's comfortable for them. Hey, Linda, would you agree with that, that it's basically Bay Area beer is almost, I, I think what I'm hearing Barry say is that it's as much about the variety of what we drink here as any one particular style? I, I totally agree. I think that uh, Bay Area drinking is as diverse as the people are here. Um, we have just, I mean, I mean, okay, look at all the styles of food we can get here. We're so fortunate. And I think that applies to also to our beer styles, um, the people who are making the beers, um, what they like. A lot of brewers will tell me they're brewing what they like uh, to drink. And they still, of course, still have to make the IPAs, as uh, my friend Peter Lopez, who owns Juncture Tap Room, says. He says IPA still still pays the bills, but people <laughs> are definitely diverse here in many yeah. ways. But what about, I mean, you judge beer and food competitions around the world and around the country. Um, what do you, when you're judging something here, do you feel like there's something different about what people bring to you? We are so lucky in California. Um, I judge in Poland, Portugal, Finland, Italy. Um, I judge food also in like England and on the British Pie Awards. Of course, you got to have a pie and a beer. Um, but I, uh, you know, I, I think that we have the best beer in the world. And everywhere I go, every country I go to, except for maybe Germany, they want to have People their agree. beer like California <laughs> beer. They want to brew like California beer. So they want me to bring the beer. I'm not allowed in Poland unless I bring a bottle of Pliny the Elder. I'm stopped at the border. <laughs> Eric, um, you did a master's in which you wrote about the history of California beer. Um, what what part of it do you think is most interesting? I think like a, a lot of the time, people may think of like the early twentieth century history. You know, like Anchor Steam, right? As a um, but what what about you? What do you think is sort of a, a piece of this California beer history people don't appreciate? Well, uh, it kind of ties into and certainly talking about California beer history uh, before the twentieth century was also talking about national national beer history. Um, to make a really long story short, there's really three main motivations to how the beer industry emphatically changed in the nation and ultimately in California as well. The first of which was the adoption as lager style brewing as the primary beer consumption throughout the United States. Uh, Before that, you had any number of ale styles that could be brewed in colder climates given the uh, temperature changes that cause a lot of spoilage, oftentimes led different areas to embrace spirits or cider production. Uh, but as soon as the later 19th, early 20th century took place, we saw lagers being produced more and more frequently. 
Uh, secondly was consolidation. And so from the growing into the 19th century at the turn of the 20th century, up until 1920 and Prohibition, you saw a lot of smaller neighborhood breweries basically closing down and larger breweries basically getting a larger, larger uh, market share. Uh, we think of them today as the Budweiser Miller Coors, uh, but even before that, there was Falstaff, Pabst, Best, Schlitz, Hams, Olympia, all larger breweries that are basically consolidating their footprint in different geographic regions. Mm. And then lastly, uh, the most important before what we call the kind of modern beer movement was the conversion of at bar drinking or at restaurant drinking or at third place drinking to drinking in the home. Uh, and so there was very little reason for us to appreciate local places to actually grab a beer when you can simply go to a supermarket and buy it off a frozen shelf. Yeah. Um, but what California breweries do and what I argue is uh, all those messages of beer production and consumption going from east to west was rebuked by the countercultural, later feeding into counterconsumerist movements that eventually allowed small breweries such as Anchor or even Sierra Nevada to actually get a footprint and establish successful business models for small-scale production and diverse style development. And we also, as I understand it, invented the IPA. Is that true here in California? Uh, the modern IPA as we know it, like the West Coast IPA, is kind of just there in the name. Uh, IPAs historically are an English style, but you take an English IPA even in modern production, and oftentimes it's taking cues from what we've made in California. Um, in my paper, I wrote about Liberty Ale being produced in 1975 as the first uh, domestically dry hopped uh, beer that actually used a hop that was grown in the United States instead of one of the classic German noble hops that often defined beer making throughout even the United States. Huh. Hey, Barry, how does field work approach the IPA? I mean, we've kind of circled around it a couple times already in this conversation because it is um, such a popular beer style. So how do, you, how do you think about it? I mean, if you can get all these different IPAs, how does field work sort of distinguish itself? Well, I, I think that we uh, try to brew uh, the best we can um, representation of each style we do, but we, I think we brew every style uh, great. Um, you know, IPA, there's no, no question, is uh, still drives probably 30 to 35 percent of, uh, of our sales. But again, um, the, 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 we want to meet the customer where they are, and that is, uh, you know, in a place, a location, a tap room where we can have a conversation with them about all the different beer styles that are available. And, um, you know, IPA uh, was was where Alex and I, when we started the brewery, really wanted to focus. But uh, over the last eight years, you know, we've seen uh, consumers um, demand even more uh, of these alternative, not alternative styles, but other styles of beer <laughs> that we think are, um, uh, you know, equally beautiful and, and elegant. Barry, you're kind of talking around it. Do beer people think IPAs are lame now? <laughs> That's the question I have for you. Uh, okay. Um, no, not at all. Um, because, you know, as you say, uh, you enjoy the, the hazy IPA with Citra and Mosaic. Um, that, that's a, the you know West Coast and uh, hazy IPA are the two uh, biggest hops that sort of drive um, consumer preference for us. And, um, you know, they're, they're beautiful. And the beers that uh, are made in this area using those hops are, are beautiful. Al Almanac makes uh, great beers in that space. Um, the, the, the key being, you know, uh, drink what you want, drink what you like. 
And no, no one's over IPAs, I guess, is the, <laughs> the bottom line. We're talking about craft beer in California. I'm trying to get Barry to say IPAs are lame. Just kidding. I'm not, actually. <laughs> I'm very happy that they're not because I love them. Uh, we're talking with Barry Braden, co-founder and owner of Fieldwork Brewing, Eric Ortega, craft beer specialist, taproom coordinator at Almanac. Also did some graduate work on California beer history. And Herlinda Harris, the artisan beer expert, international beer and food judge, and co-host of Brujaha Craft Beer Show at KSRO in Sonoma. We want to hear from you on this show, of course. What's your favorite California craft beer? You don't have to just say Almanac and Fieldwork Beers, even though if you want to, they're here. Uh, and here's something I would love to hear from people. What's something you've always won- wanted to know about running a brewery? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum, and the email is forum at uh, kqed.org. Barry, I do have one other uh, question for you. You know, during the pandemic especially, it seems like we all got big beers. It used to be you'd get six 12-ounce cans. Now most craft beer comes in four 16-ounce cans. Like, what happened there? Well, it... I don't know, um, but it was a, a convenient format for us. Um, you know, we were fortunate to buy a canning line uh, and install that, you know, two months before uh, the shelter in place. Uh, that was the, the most serendipitous thing that ever happened to our company. And um, we, you know, just started uh, uh, canning in that format, and it seemed to be, um, you know, what was predominant at the time. Yeah. Do you feel like it's just like that is the format that give, makes people think like, ah, I'm buying craft beer, <laughs> you know, as opposed to like the the 30 rack of Natty? It's like that. No, exact opposite not at all. End. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you buy uh, some of the best beer that's made in this region, uh, 21st Amendment cans in 12 ounce cans. Yeah, and, you know, El Sully is one of my favorite beers. Yeah. We're talking about craft beer in California, taking some of your comments. Noel tweets, too many good beers to pick just one. Favorite breweries include Almanac, Anderson Valley, Russian River, North Coast, Clandestine, S27. And I'm a member owner of California's first co-op brewery, Umenham. Of course, UB's beers are my favorite. Uh, This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking craft beer, the art, and the business. And I want to go to the phones right away. Eric in Santa Clara, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm a college chemistry professor at, uh, at the end of college down here in Cupertino, actually. And I'd actually love if you could say a few words about how much chemistry goes into brewing beer. Oh, yeah. Eric, that's a good one. Um, I think that probably goes to you, Eric. Um, yeah, I mean, my work was mostly in history, but I found that uh, in order to really fully appreciate it, we really delved into the science, especially the microbiology and chemistry. 
And one really important facet that I think a lot of people don't really talk about is water chemistry going into the different beers that we make. Um, as much attention that we pay to the hops and barley that's being grown, malted, and converted into brewing ingredients, uh, all that's for naught if you're brewing with water that's basically subpar for the production process. Uh, so, of course, we can always doctor water, uh, we can filter water, and a lot of modern breweries use a reverse osmosis process by which they can basically strip a water table down to its bare minimum, and then they can add uh, certain salts and minerals in order to accent flavor profiles, uh, basically assist uh, yeast with fermentation. Um, and, yeah, I mean, whenever you This go- is like when uh, New York people say, like, well, this is why New York pizza tastes like it does, because <laughs> of the water, right? Like, this or the bagels. Like- yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Eric, uh, in Santa Clara, as a chemistry professor, have you tried to make your own beer? A couple times, not terribly successfully, to be honest. Oh, really? What happened? I'm, I'm, much, I'm much more successful on the, on the distilling side of things. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, that's like, I feel like that's a more pure up your alley, right? A little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I always joke that, uh, that beer making is more biology. But <laughs> yeah, I that's that there right. was some chemistry that went into it, so I'm yeah. happy to hear about the water. Uh, the water chemistry. Thank you very much. Cool. Yeah, no hey, problem. thank you so much, Eric. Um, let's take another fun beer question. Uh, CJ in Alameda. Welcome, CJ. Hi, thank you very much. So my question is, uh, there's a maltings place right next to Almanac, and I'm just, you've talked about water. Uh, talk, tell me the importance of uh, malt, maltings. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, uh, when it comes to malting, Admiral Maltings, the uh, building that's actually it's in the same building as our brewery, um, they have a very unique uh, process by which they take California-grown barley and they turn it into brewing malt. And the process is known as floor malting. Hmm. Um, essentially, in the long story short, is floor malting is a little bit more time-intensive uh, time and labor-intensive process that imparts a fuller flavor, uh, more richer um kernel that's usually used in the brewing process and from when they got started they've now added uh, gosh i want to say at least a dozen different varieties of brewing malts including the palest and crispest pilsner malt uh, certain caramelized malts that impart a little bit more depth of sweetness and body uh, as well as other types of grains like chit malt i believe they've done wheat malt Um, it's it's very impressive and if you ever find yourself in Alameda, I mean definitely check out all the different businesses, but the Rake Tap Room next door to us and then the Admiral Maltings facility is one of a kind, especially in California, and definitely worth checking out if you really appreciate the production process, not only of beer itself, but one of its key ingredients. Yeah. Uh, here, Linda, uh, one listener asks, people are so snobby about wine and what food you can pair with it. Do certain beers pair with certain types of food, or can you drink whatever you want with what is on your plate? Well, okay. Yes and yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the beer answer. Yes, yes. and yes. I live yeah. in Sonoma County, of course, which is wine country, and now we also call it beer country. And um, I have to say, and I may not be able to go back home, but I think beer pair is a lot better with foods than wine does. Uh, you can get so much more creative with beers, for one thing, and also you can tailor them for, you know, your different foods. You know, you've got your stouts and your and your brown more roasty and chocolatey ales. You know, you can even have those with with chocolate, but you can also take something bitter like a, you know, an IPA, uh, you know, or West Coast, and you know, see how that changes when you when you try a dark chocolate. Um, or a milk chocolate, you know, and there's so many things that you can do with that. And I love also cooking with beer, like in Belgium, you know, the, you know, the famous Flemish, you know, stews and I'll do, you know, and then of course Irish stew. Hello. 
you know, Guinness or I'll do it with local, you know, a local stout, like from Old Possum. I'll do one of their stouts and I'll make a, you know, a nice rich stew with some, you know, beef and some carrots and potatoes and keep it kind of simple and uh, people flip out. You know, so you can actually drink with anything you want, but you can also go and look at some of the beer books. Like Julia Hertz did a book on cooking and pairing with beer, and I would highly recommend that if you want to kind of learn about palates and styles and um, types of food. Yeah. Thanks so much for that. I also want to say I've just been thinking, I've been trying to pull the word lame out of my vocabulary <laughs> as ableist <laughs> vocab, and I'm, I want to use a different word. I'm sorry about that. Um, let's bring in... Um, Rob in San Francisco. Welcome, Rob. Thank you. Um, yeah, I went to college back in the early 80s, and we used to pass through Hopland on our way to and from home and would stop at the Mendocino Brewery and get Red Tail Ale, which was at the time like this wonderful new thing that I we'd never had before, and you could only buy it in a champagne magnum because they made it right there at the brewery. And since then, things have evolved a lot. But it seems like only mostly into the IPA type category. I mean, you mentioned earlier that you can get any kind of beer you like around here as long as it's an IPA, as far as I'm concerned. I used to love Gordon Beer's Blonde Bach, and then they just quit making it. What has happened to that kind of a multi, little bit heavier German uh, type beer? It seems like it's... um, Becoming a thing of the past is harder and harder to find. Yeah, Barry, why don't we send this one to you since you have all these tap rooms and are able to kind of see what people are drinking? Well, I, I think it's a great question, but I mean, if you go to our tap room right now, I mean, you'll find uh, a uh, Irish red lager. Uh, you'll find a, a very uh, straightforward stout. Um, the, the the key is, I think. Um, searching out these uh, local breweries that are making some of these styles. And you don't find uh, the box, I think, on uh, store shelves that often. But I think if you uh, uh, go around Northern California, you can find plenty of breweries that are brewing um, uh, the style that you're uh, interested in. Yeah. Let's uh, bring in another brewer, Luis in Martinez. Welcome. Hey, Guy. How's it going? Hey, hey, good. Um, So tell us about Del Cielo in Martinez. So we're in downtown Martinez. Uh, We've been here for, we opened uh, four years ago. We're family owned. Uh, We actually Latino owned. Uh, I'm from Colombia and my wife is from Puerto Rico. Uh, Yeah, so that's kind of what we are. We are basically, uh, we normally have 18 taps. 18 beers on top, and uh, the cool thing about what we do is we have we have a kitchen too, so we're normally making some some specials, trying to play uh, and pair some of our beers with with some of our food that is life inspired. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, and besides that, we normally have live music every Saturday and every other Friday too. Yeah. So, Luis, um, you know, I know your background is in finance. Like, when you were looking at, at opening a brewery as a business in, like, you know, kind of this today's climate, like, what were the factors that you were thinking about in this business model? Well, I was looking for a, I was definitely looking for a space uh, that I was going to be able to grow our business. Uh, locally, we're able to find this space here. Uh-huh. 
and luckily we're we're able to do it uh and at this point we're kind of like looking to span a, a little bit out of here mm. we already grew up the space so that's kind of that's kind of good news for us yeah uh, last thing, like, is there anything, like, one of your beers that you feel like is the one? If, like, people are going to go up to Martinez to uh, Del Cielo, that this is the one they should try? Um, I would say, like, we, we do we do from from lagers, pilsners, all the way to dark beers and kettle sours, too. Uh, definitely the, the, the beer that we sell more in volume is one of our Mexican lagers. And our kettle sour, which is Guava Dreams, which is a brew... With uh, pink guava. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really exciting. Hey, thanks so much, uh, Luis. Really appreciate uh, that. I, um, you know, Barry, I do want to talk a little bit about these sort of some of these business questions, you know, because it does feel like the beer industry writ large, those big brewers and those big really conglomerates of brewers, right? They're... They dominate things. So, where what is the role for craft brewery like your like yours? Well, you know, we're uh, eight years old now. Um, we have eight tap rooms around Northern California. When we started the brewery, we took a look at the landscape and we said, "Well, okay, um, you know, we can make beer and we can send it out through distribution. We can try to get it on retail store shelves. Um, we can, you know, try to compete with." 8,000 other breweries out there, or we can have a very local focused um, business. And so that's what we did. We, you know, built our brewery in Berkeley. We opened tap rooms in Sacramento and Napa, and then we opened tap rooms in San Mateo and Monterey, San Ramon, Corte Madera, and now San Leandro. And we wanted to be hyper local uh, to, um, you know, meet the customers where they are, to have uh, the beer come from as close to the source, uh, meaning our, our Berkeley brewery, as possible. And we didn't want to get in the dogfight of, you know, trying to, to work through some of these traditional channels. So we took a direct-to-consumer approach. Um, and uh, we think that that uh, is uh, a healthy way to, to build a business. Um, you know, we have zero debt as a uh, as a uh, as as a company, and um, you know we employ close to 250 people now. Wow! So you know, for for us, it works, and it's been uh, great. It doesn't, you know, it's not saying that it would work for everybody, but um, we we were just very intentional about uh, what it is we wanted to accomplish. Yeah. We are talking about craft beer in California with Barry Braden, co-founder and owner of Fieldwork Brewing, Eric Ortega, craft beer specialist and taproom coordinator for Almanac, and Herlinda Harris, uh, artisan beverage expert. She's a beer and food judge and co-host of Brewhaha, a craft beer show at KSRO in Sonoma. Um, Doug in Berkeley has a question. Welcome, Doug. Hi. Hi. Great show. Uh, I, I must say I love this expansion of uh, craft breweries, um, and I have several favorites, but do you think the market has reached a peak, or are there room for more? Because I think it's fun. I go with my friend. We, we bike to local, local breweries, um, Fieldwork being one of them, Gilman Street Brewing, uh, Novels close by, but is there, can there be room for more? Because I think they all have unique beer styles, and yeah. they're all different and fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric, let's uh, toss this one to you. What do you think when you look around the, the Bay Area? Um, you know, it's 
in my opinion, it's really kind of hard to tell because there's factors that we really don't know whether uh, uh, climate change is going to be affecting the ability for us to get different ingredients. Mm. Uh, if there's going to be an aluminum shortage or a spike in pricing. And then sourcing equipment for brewing is growing increasingly more difficult unless you're purchasing older brew houses and then refitting them for your own purposes. Uh, that said, um, the fieldwork model and where individual breweries are opening up multiple tap rooms is proving to be a very viable way to have a bigger footprint. Hmm. And again, that is just one business opening up multiple breweries, but um, I think that's kind of yeah. hitting the nail on the head on how to maintain a successful brewing operation is whether or not you're going into distribution channels in a more emphatic manner or opening up more retail spaces uh, yeah. by which you can actually generate better profit by serving directly to the customer instead of paying all the distributor markups that yeah. oftentimes go with going to distribution channels. You know, on the retail side, I mean, one of the things we hear a lot about how hard it is to find people to uh, work in you know, a lot of restaurants and other uh, businesses like that. Is that something that you've encountered um, at Almanac or, you know, with I know that you're involved in several beer ventures or in other places? Uh, well, I mean, as far as uh, talent and labor, I think there's a lot of excellent brewers here in the Bay Area. I mean, it's no surprise that there is so many because we have so many different breweries. And you do see a lot of transfer. Um, having only worked at two breweries here in the area, I now know brewers at dozens of different breweries here and then across the country just because there's sort of this teaching atmosphere that comes with small operations. Um, so... You see people coming from out of state, coming to our breweries, and California brewers going out of state or out of the country, um, finding labor uh, specifically for that skill set. Um, in my opinion, there's always uh, someone out there looking for a better opportunity, and hopefully they find a place that treats them well, uh, and they have fair compensation, and uh, they basically have a company culture that really speaks to them. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think we can find those people. Uh, as long as we offer those different caveats. Yeah. Uh, we've got Joseph in Oakland on the line. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Oh, yeah, go ahead. What's your question? I was just wondering, and um, all the different craft brews I've been to in Oakland, uh, one of my favorites, because I live next to them, Ghost Town has their $3 pint, and then at some breweries, you know, upwards of 12 $13 for a pint. And I was just wondering the biggest inputs into those those different prices and uh, different craft breweries and different yeah. uh, beers. Such a good question, Joseph. Um, Barry, how about you? Yeah, it is a great question. Um, you know, the the last couple of years, we've seen uh, pretty significant increases in uh, raw material costs and then transportation to, uh, to get those to us. Um, and so... You know, we, we just go across the board with uh, the same price um, everywhere for, you know, a, a pint. Um, we don't distinguish between the, the, the beers themselves. We just try to take all those inputs and, and make, it, uh, make it fair. Um, the, uh, but, you know, substantially everything has gone, gone way up uh, the past few years. Um, we have uh, a lot of uh, listeners writing in with comments, uh, loving and or hating uh, IPAs, <laughs> which we will get to that. Um, you know, Erland, I wanted to uh, to ask you, um, one listener writes in to say, I'm a lightweight drinker and would love to have some go-to options for, you know, crisp, lighter beers that are not going to make them woozy after three sips. 
Well, I have uh, seven or eight cans and friend bottles in front of me right now from several different breweries. <laughs> and yeah, uh, we're all drinking here at the yeah, moment. Yeah, I'm sorry, Alexis. <laughs> you should be with us. Um, so one of the beers that I have in front of me right now is a harmonic Kolsch, and Kolsch is a style that is a really easy drinking, um, lower alcohol, um, you know, which you can also call a session style beer, which means that you can sit for a while and enjoy it and you know, lower alcohol, and which is actually, Barry and I were talking earlier about this too, and, um, and uh, Peter Lopez and I were, that lower alcohol beers are becoming popular anyway, so you're you're fortunate you have more choices everywhere you go. And also, like, the German styles, like, there was, you know, the, the man who called in earlier, the German styles aren't all, all heavy. I mean, like, a Helles is a really nice, uh, you know, really light, easy drinking, like, 3.5% alcohol. And then also... Um, I don't have to talk as many of my girlfriends in, into you know trying beer now as I used to, but I used to tell them to try a stout, because a stout can be lower alcohol, um, easy drinking, roasty, kind of chocolatey, smooth, not bitter, not hoppy, not as heavy as you think, as mm -hmm. well. And um, you know, I would love I loved watching their faces when they would try their first sip and then kept going, and then they were converts for life. So I would say you know take take a chance on some darker beers. British styles, if, you, if you're if you lucky enough, I mean, I, I don't know about you, you two, but I love milds and London brown ales and English bitters, really, and, and even though it's not really bitter, it's actually easy drinking and low alcohol, like in, in England and Germany, they go lower alcohol, and you can sit and enjoy it. Yeah. We are talking about craft beer. David writes in to say, some thoughts. The four-pack trend just makes me mad. I feel like it's price gouging with four packs, $15 and up. I love the explosion of all different IPAs. I'm far from over it. It cracks me up when breweries like Fieldwork make slightly different variations on the recipes and come up with a new name for it. There are so many amazing IPAs, it would be impossible ever to name a favorite. But so far as Imperial Stouts go, the gold standard of Old Rasputin has not been bested. We're joined this morning by Barry Braden, co-founder and owner of Fieldwork Brewing. Eric Ortega works for Almanac, another spot. And Herlinda Harris, who's beer and food judge, hence craft beer show KSA on KSRO in Sonoma. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking craft beer with Herlinda Harris, an artisan beverage expert. Got a show called Brew Haha on KSRO in Sonoma. Eric Ortega, craft beer specialist and taproom coordinator at Almanac. He's actually our 
basically our Google about all beer things. <laughs> That's what we've decided. Uh, and Barry Braden, co-founder and owner of Fieldwork Brewing. Let's uh, get back to the phones. We've got uh, Mark in Nicasio. Welcome, Mark. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hey, go ahead. What's your story? So um, I uh, actually grow wine grapes. Uh, I'm not a beer drinker, but I raise uh, pigs, rabbits, chickens, and I uh, sell to a lot of the restaurants in the Bay Area, French Laundry, Sheep and East, and, and Quince and stuff. And I get brewer's grain. Uh, after Almanac is done brewing the beer, I get the spent grain, uh, which I'm actually on my way to Alameda to get some. Small <laughs> world. <laughs> I love that. You know, um, one of the things this really highlights, you know, Eric, is just the, the way that beer really is part of the agricultural economy, right? Yeah, I mean, especially with um, any batch of beer, say we're making about a 20-barrel batch, which is a barrel's 31 gallons. I won't get into the math of it, but we're basically working with about 1,000 pounds of different types of grains. And it's essentially once we've extracted the sugar that we need to create wort and create fermentation, all that spent grain is a waste product. But fortunately, with so many uh, agricultural lands around here, uh, we have the good fortune of being able to give that spent grain as different types of animal feed. Uh, It still maintains its nutritional value for animal feed. Uh, It's better than uh, most other kind of large-scale feeds that are grown with, uh, I guess, alfalfa, other types of grasses. So it's really just kismet to be able to get someone to really appreciate that for their pigs, cows, uh, really any animals that are willing to eat that. And, um, I mean, really takes <laughs> literally a really huge waste problem off our hands and yeah. hopefully makes us a little bit more sustainable. And so we do appreciate hearing that. And, uh, yeah, hopefully while you're there, you pick up a Kolsch or a Love Hazy yeah. IPA. Hey, thanks a lot, Mark, for that call. I love love that kind of call. Um, let's see. Let's go to uh, Chris in San Francisco. Welcome, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Hey, doing well. Welcome. So, so you guys were talking about um, uh, the the hops and not to not to kill the IPAs, but I discovered years ago I'm slightly allergic to hops. So, <laughs> and all of my favorite all of my favorite recipes have always been low hop. I also want to give a shout out to Oak Barrel because uh, there, uh, if you guys are field work over there, you guys probably know where Oak Barrel is. But yeah, I learned uh, a home brew and 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 do that and. Uh, their Black Death Stout, as far as talking people into trying beers, their Black Death Stout is one of the most amazing beers I've ever had mm-hmm. and always a great beer. But anyways, mm-hmm. so the hops, uh, the allergies to the hops were just kind of uh, maybe. Yeah, this hop trend has yeah, not, not, not been on your to your, um, yeah, to, to your uh, benefit. Um, thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, we will talk more about IPAs in just one second, but I wanted to get to a comment from uh, Kara, who writes in to say, uh, after 50 years of drinking, I stopped consuming alcohol in May of this year. Sunday makes 150 days. I've tried the Lagunitas IPNA and the Klaus Taylor Dry Hopped, and they're okay. I've tried Heineken 0% ABV, and it was uh, just uh, dish water with a hint of skunk uh, as regular Heineken. Um, I used to love San Quentin Breakout Stout um, from the now-closed Marin Brewing Company. Do you all have any recommendations for a flavorful non-alcoholic brew? I'm not a fan of sweet, quote-unquote, mocktails. Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, I've recently heard, I haven't had it myself, but the Guinness non-alcoholic version, which is a version of their nitro stout, actually maintains a lot of its flavor profile. 
Um, but outside of that, I've not had too much. Oh, actually, I take that back. Erdinger, which is German brewery. I've had some of their non-alcoholic beers, like a Weissbier and mm. a Helles Lager. Um, those were fairly palatable. I mean, you are kind of in a weird situation to look for non-alcoholic beers, but I'm finding that more and more breweries are working on non-alcoholic options, or there's actually individual businesses that are beginning to pop up and really trying to embrace that market. Yeah. yeah. I actually oh. have one uh, suggestion for her as well, too. There is a um, the, Keith, I can't remember his last name, but he started, he, he created the Blue Moon recipe, but he started his own uh, non-alcoholic brewery, Seria, C-E-R-I-A, and um, he's got a full line and also athletic brewing. I was going to say. Yeah, they have the a full line. athletic IPA, I yeah. feel like, is very solid. Yeah. But they have several flavors, uh, several styles, I should, uh, I should say. And um, so I would definitely recommend taking a look at those. And Sarah also is doing some CBD. <laughs> um, you can't do the, yes. do the alcohol, but they have one that tastes like beer that's non-alcoholic and has some CBD. Um so depending, and that, that's a, that's actually a big trend going that way as well. Yeah. I got two I other actually, suggestions for you too. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, go I ahead. was just going to say that, that I'm I'm drinking a lot more hop water than I would mm. be non-alcoholic beers just yep. to give me my hop fix. And Sierra Nevada has a new one called Hop Splash, which is just incredible. And so, uh, you know, that's where uh, that's where I'm spending some of my money. Yeah, I would say the uh, the hop tea it's called. I actually got uh, Ethan Tovin Lindsay hooked on them there. It's an incredible uh, tea, particularly the hoppy one. It's I think they the na- actual name of it is the really hoppy one. I think it's extremely good. Um, and there's also on the non-alcoholic side, there's also Best Day Brewing, uh, oh, particularly yeah. the Kolsch, <laughs> which people say um, is is very very good and and crispy. Let's fire another shot in the IPA wars here. Uh, Navi in Hercules, welcome. Hey, well, how's it going? Hey, good, good. Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, I'm also a home brewer myself, too. We have a, we have a saying that we, that um, hazy beer is lazy beer, and there's just been a recent, over the last <laughs> few years, explosion of, of hazy IPAs, and I get it, you know, like, it's a non-offensive style, and people think it's fun, but, you know, to me, it's like... It's like drinking a fruit salad or a milkshake. <laughs> so I guess my response I mean, to that would a... be that it's, it's a little bit not fair because now the BJCP recognizes the hazy IPA as a as a style and a and a judged style, and I think there's a lot of art and craft that goes into it. Um, so uh, that's just my uh, yeah. immediate. Feedback. I mean, Navi, just to engage on it a little bit too. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit like with the natural winemakers, the natty winemakers, right? Mm-hmm. Where a lot of the things that previously would have been tried to be pulled out of these wines before they went to market are instead people are sort of playing with the edges of of what's acceptable, right? Yeah, I yeah, I, I totally get it, and it's great. There's you know there there's um, there's someone from still work on the line on the show too as well. And I also been to field work many times, and field work along with the other breweries. Shout out to Temescal Brewing, and you know our yeah. masters at the hazy IPA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, uh, thank you so much, Navi Herlander. When you're going to say something there? Yeah, I was just going to. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and and talk about the elephant in the room with these other two guys here. IPAs aren't as popular as they were. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> IPAs aren't as popular as they were. Pilsners. And other loggers um, are becoming much more popular. And thank you, 
God. <laughs> so, I mean, do you, I mean. Agreed. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it, like I said, you know, across eight tap rooms, four of our most popular selling beers are lagers, two are sours, uh, just one hazy IPA. But from a, a overall production perspective, IPA is still about 30%. But that's down from uh, over 50% just three years ago. So the trend is towards lower ABV um, uh, just in general. But mm-hmm. from a craft perspective, um, just really flavorful, um, well-made craft beers uh, that people can uh, enjoy with their, their friends sitting around a table at a tap room. Yeah. You know, Barry, one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, we do have this, you know, huge beer companies out there. And are there do you think that they're doing things that kind of hurt the beer business, the big players? And do you think it should sort of work differently or that that there's too much consolidation? Uh, Well, I guess as a raging capitalist, I, (laughs) I don't I don't really I don't really know. I mean, we we do what we do, and we are focused on, um, you know, our local footprint, uh, being as creative as possible, uh, giving you know our brew team uh, creative um, uh, license to sort of do whatever they want in the in the space. We don't really see um, those large beer companies um, in the context of how we do business. Uh, and we don't see the large distributors in the context of how we do business. I'd love to hear from Eric on this as it relates to the Almanac experience. But, you know, we, we're just focused on on meeting the customers where they are in, you know, our local tap rooms to be able to have a gathering place where uh, folks can come in uh, around their neighborhoods, hang out with their friends, hang out with their, their family, and enjoy some, some good beer. Yeah. Eric, what do you think? Um, well, over at our tap room in Alameda, we are going growing increasingly busy, and so we really don't have to face those issues of kind of competing with extremely larger breweries, at least in the retail world. Uh, oftentimes, the real fight with large-scale production ma- manufacturers is within distribution. Mm-hmm. And from my understanding and my experience, uh, California has some extremely large distributors, and those distributors are dominated by a single brand portfolio, be it Budweiser, Coors, Miller, what have you. Um, in other states, it's actually really bad. I mean, if you go to Louisiana, um, they the distributors out there under the control of large breweries have basically a stranglehold on the market, and small independent brewers are having a hell of a time trying to basically get a footprint in anything outside their own tap rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fortunately, with our business here in Alameda, we work with a very accommodating and very understanding distributor that has mostly a craft and independent portfolio uh, and also has a team that's able to actually help facilitate and make sure we have a consistent footprint at retail establishments or uh, chain establishments, such as your Safeways, Whole Foods, Total Wines, Bebmos, things like that. Yeah. So, Alexis, can I uh, just add on to what Eric just yeah, said? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the key for us is that we wouldn't be able to do what we do um, in just about every other state in the country. Hmm. California has some uh, excellent privileges for small breweries uh, to be able to add uh, satellite taproom locations and have that uh, front-facing um, relationship with the customer. Just last week, the governor signed a, a, a bill that allows us uh, additional privileges as well. So we're allowed to add two more of these satellite locations. Um, and, and we think that that lets uh, entrepreneurial uh, 
breweries and and folks who are trying to decide whether they can actually make a living at this um, uh, makes it easier. Um, so, you know, we don't, you know, we couldn't go into Texas or Florida or you know many other states and do what we do. You have hmm. to work within these um, uh, existing distribution frameworks. Where essentially have. you have to pour what you brew right on site, and you can't like move it even to another location with your same company. Is that the well, no, I mean, there, each state has a, a variety of different laws, but in some cases, you can't sell over the bar to um, uh, uh, to consumers, and you have to go through distributor, uh, distributor uh, sorry, I got distributors yeah, yeah, yeah. to actually move your product out into the channel. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, California is 40 million people, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of opportunity here. So that's why we've, you know, we've focused on Northern California. It's, you know... It, it is very uh, uh, great opportunity for us. Yeah. Um, I want to run through some. We are getting tons of people pouring in with their recommendations. <laughs> um, Alia tweets, one of my favorites is Onibi Beer Company out of Jackrabbit Beer in Sacramento. Also wants to see more stouts and porters on tap in Bay Area breweries. Julian uh, writes in to say, Free Wheel in Redwood City offers cask ale in a true English manner. Great beer. Uh, listener tweets, Almanac Brews are my favorite. The Astrology series was interesting. John tweets, as a beer enjoyer, I'm lucky to live in Santa Rosa where there are a lot of good options. Wanted to shout out Hen House Brewing uh, in Santa Rosa, Seismic in Sebastopol, and Parliament in Roner Park. Lauren writes, shout out to Santa Adarius Rustic Ales in Santa Cruz. Daniel writes, thanks for a very interesting show. We're fortunate to live one mile from Russian River Brewery in Windsor, a true beer palace also, a shout-out to North Coast Brewery in Ukiah, who supports jazz education. Um, as you can see, many people have their, um, have their intense favorites, and Brooke on the phone has another recommendation for us. Brooke and Lafayette, welcome. Hi there. Um, I just wanted to just go back to the non-alcoholic options, because I love beer and I love good beer, but I don't always want the strong hit of the alcohol. Yeah. Um, Barrel Brothers in Windsor is, has... Four different non-alcoholic beers. One's a West Coast IPA. There's a porter, um, a sour, and a hazy. Mm. And those are phenomenal. They're almost exactly the same flavor profile as the alcoholic ones. They have, like, they spent $80,000 on equipment there to take the alcohol out. (laughs) And um, it's phenomenal. It's really good. So I just wanted to say there's more than the, the bigger companies, you know, that are selling in the big stores. Yeah. Um, but I found these in Bevmo around town. Uh-huh. So, And that was Barrel Brothers in Windsor, right? Barrel Brothers. They're a very small brewing company, and they're doing a lot of non-alcoholic. Great people. Really good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're right up by me. I, I live uh, five miles between each Russian River uh, <laughs> brew yeah. house. Um, that's awesome. Um, and, you know, we actually did a whole show on uh, non-alcoholic spirits and things. I wanted to uh, toss this one out to to you all, which is there have been a lot of other canned alcoholic beverages that seem to be coming for beer. You got your kombuchas. You got your hard seltzers. You got a lot of the, the weed drinks that have come out. Are any of those things true competitors to the beer in the aisle? And maybe we'll start with you, Eric. Uh, I really don't think so. They're catering to different markets and different demands. Um, nothing wrong with any of those individual um, options, but you think about CBD drinks, canned cocktails, canned hard kombucha, things like that. I mean, it's it's basically catering to someone that's just bona fide, not a beer drinker, which in its own right, A-OK. Um, but there's still 
so much demand for what we're creating and what we're selling that I really don't see them supplanting or even taking any sizable amount of that market share. And even now, we're, I think I, I'm seeing a drop-off in the popularity of seltzers compared to what it was back mm-hmm. in like 2019, 2020. Yeah. That's nowhere near as prevalent as it was when it was just basically bulldozing grocery store shelves. <laughs> Barry, what do you think? Uh, I, I agree with everything that Eric said. I, I don't see that it's um, it doesn't impact us at all. Um, There's not going to be a field work a hard seltzer coming out. Soon. We we tried one actually. Oh, um, yeah. We we had it on the tap room for a few weeks. We you know it it didn't even register in the top ten of what we sold um, during that time, and so we were like. Uh, there's no real way to innovate uh, in a product like that. It's not, you know, it's sparkling water and and fruit, really. Um, and so, you know, it, it has its place, and, and it, there's certainly a lot of it being sold out there. Uh, same with the uh, the hard kombucha and, and uh, uh, you know, other hop-focused uh, beverages. But it's it's not, you know, it, great. You know, drink what you enjoy, I guess, is the bottom line. Hey, Linda, do you want to jump in there real quick? I, I do. Um, so my show is also not just on beer, but also um, spirits and cider and um, mead and sake and anything else brewed except for wine because we have our own yeah. separate ones for that. But the ready-to-drink cocktails, RTDs, are huge and they're getting bigger. Mm-hmm. The, um, so there are some great numbers on that. Um I can't remember them off the top of my head. I was looking at last night, but yeah. they are very handy. You know, more people were getting outside, of course, during you know the pandemic, and so they are yeah. handy. I've been known to throw a few in my purse on the way to a concert. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah, if I could put in a quick plug, everybody should go to Alexis's Twitter feed and see his see this new dog. puppy Laszlo, <laughs> who is just incredibly uh, cute. So, thank you. Congratulations been, on that, <laughs> thank Alexis. Thank you so much. We've been talking. Craft Beer in California with Barry Braden of Fieldwork, Eric Ortega of Almanac, and Erlinda Harris of the Brouhaha Craft Beer Show at KSRO in Sonoma. This Hour Forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Jennifer Ng. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell's lead producer. Engineers Danny Bringer. Our interns are Policy Kelly Campos and Lulu Ralda. Susan Davis, our senior producer. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This has been Forum. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Leslie McClurg. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. 
Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.